dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. In this exciting six-part series, I would like to look at what the Gospel of St. Mark teaches us about leadership, how our Lord formed his disciples to be great leaders. We begin by looking at the Lord's call that they leave everything behind and follow him as an essential attribute of their leadership. Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you again. I want to speak with you specifically about a very important message, and that's what the Gospels teach us, specifically Jesus, about being leaders. Now, remember this, leadership is not a question of, of extraordinary things. It's not a question of who's in charge of some sort of business or, or, or some sort of military thing. Leadership is exercised by every single Christian as a part of the fact that they have been consecrated into Christ the king. We are not members of the body, in other words, of, uh, uh, of someone who is pushed around by any other forces. We are members of the body of the king, and he's called us to exercise his kingship in this world by ruling over it, and that is by giving leadership to this world. So yes, I know I'm speaking to to, to you who are engaged in actual roles of leadership in, in society. But I want this to also be something that talks to you as the, the, the heads of your family and as the parents that you are called to be and the grandparents that you're called to be and also in every other aspect of your spirituality. Here's, here's what I mean. Take a look at the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at Mark throughout and we're going to pick out the six kind of like really essential points where Christ forms his apostles to be leaders as a lesson for where he's calling us and how he's forming us as Christians today. So I want to start by looking at Mark uh, chapter 1 verses 14 to 20. It's an extraordinary uh, uh, place in the Bible. We've heard this many times. Let's take a look and just see how Christ speaks to us here. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. 
All right. So I, I think the reason I wanted to begin with this particular passage is because it speaks to you as where you are right now. Leadership in the eyes of Christ is something he summons all of us into. It represents a change. A change from our habitual ways of thinking and acting into a way of thinking and acting that's conformed to him. Jesus is the center of all things. He is God Almighty himself. He draws all things into who he is and he rules over every time and every season in the world. As such, if I'm called to be belong to him, I'm called to rule with him. I need to change my mindset. I need to change out of the way of looking at a life that says that somehow I'm anonymous and somehow what I do doesn't really matter in the big scope of things. Into saying that I'm a chosen and loved son and daughter of God. And that he has called me to exercise with him a salvific role for this world. I mean, I think it's already just a huge conversion point for us. Because if I really accepted that, well, then I'd start to really value myself. The biggest obstacle for me to become great, it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. The biggest obstacle for me to make an impact in this world doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. The reason why my life is not extraordinary isn't found in any other explanation than that in my life, I haven't obeyed that summons by the Son of God to give it to him. If I, in other words, if we each one of us look at ourselves and we say, why haven't I given it to him? Why haven't I surrendered myself to God? Why isn't God my best friend? I think that for the most of us is because we don't feel like we're worthy of that friendship. I mean, how many of us can really say, yes, I'm stepping into this role that is an extraordinary life and I'm going to be this person that God has called me to be because I know that this is my destiny. <laughs> you know, we don't do that. I mean, you know, think about it. And the reason we don't do that is because, well, I mean, just ask our spouse. <laughs> our spouses usually are the first reasons to say, but actually, you know, you're really not that great. And I mean, on the one hand, it's like shame on, shame on you, you know, for the, the spouse to be treating you like that. You can't, you can't say that to your spouse. You, you don't allow yourselves to be your own worst enemies. Wouldn't it be extraordinary if your spouse looked at you and said, you are a son of God and you're destined for great things. I mean, you, you would just like light up and maybe you would accomplish those great things because you would learn to love yourself as you should be loved, as someone who is willed by God and chosen by God. But we don't. We listen to those voices on the outside. Today, I want you to listen to the voice of Christ. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
Okay, so we see that when, when our Lord finds these, uh, these first apostles, Peter and Andrew, James and John, he finds them in a mindset that's very earthly. I mean, they're taking care of fish. And there's certainly nothing wrong with taking care of fish. There's nothing wrong with doing things that are earthly. But it represents for us where he comes to find each one of us at the same time. Where, where are you right now in your mind? And what would happen if God came into wherever you are right now in your mind and chose to call you to greater things, to call you to the heights? What would you do? How would you respond? <laughs> right? and most of us, again, we would say, I mean, not me, Lord. Because we don't think highly enough of ourselves. We don't look at ourselves as God looks at us, as his beloved son or daughter with whom he could actually do anything. He took the Virgin Mary, and although she had never even known man, made a virgin while remaining a virgin, become the mother of his only begotten son. This is a pretty extraordinary thing. I mean, if he could make virgins give birth and remain virgins, Maybe he could do something with you too. <laughs> yeah, when the earth was created, it was created out of nothing, folks. It wasn't like God was saying, oh my gosh, I'll, I'll take this good stuff over here and then I'll make the earth out of it. Nope. There was nothing and God formed the earth out of nothing. Into the darkness he speaks light. And he, he can even take the dead and bring them back to life. He can take a tax collector and make him an apostle of mercy. He can take a woman possessed by seven demons, a woman who was given over to lust and given over to the, the, the various forms of depravity and make her into his first apostle of his resurrection. He can do anything with us. He can do anything with you. We need to allow ourselves to look at our lives for a second from his perspective. You know, there's a, a famous story that I love about Pope John Paul II. It was when he founded World Youth Day. When he, World Youth Day is this great, it's, I mean, it's like something that's rather extraordinary. The Pope gathering with young people from around the world. So the young people would gather. And, I mean, we've had like 2 million in Rome. There were 5 million that gathered in the Philippines. The largest gathering in the, in the history of humanity took place when Pope John Paul II went to World Youth Day for, 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 to meet the young people in the Philippines. So this has been an extraordinary success. And what does he do? He preaches to them. He encourages them. And, you know, and he talks. And the young people respond. Well, obviously, this is a very good thing for the church because those young people become engaged and then they form leadership. It's just a great way for the top to be connected with the bottom. But when he first wanted to do it, he was told that it was impossible. And the, the bishops, he went to the bishops in France and proposed to them that they have the very first World Youth Day, 1989, in France. And the French bishops said that they didn't think it would work. And so he said, well... I mean, you have to be Pope to do this. I guess I'll just do it in Spain. So he called the bishops in Spain and invited them and said, can I do World Youth Day for you? Can I gather your young people? And they said, we really don't think it'll work, but we're willing to give it a shot. We'll do a small, modest gathering. We'll plan for 70,000. Because after all, faith is on the decline. Atheism's on the rise. Our young people are just not going to be interested in hearing about Christ. And so he said, fine, let's do it. Well, it, my friends, it wasn't 70,000 who came. It was 500,000 who showed up. 
They were not ready. The bishops were not prepared. It was just this. They came on boats. They came on bikes. They came by feet. They came from all over. The young people themselves voted by their feet and they showed up in droves, a half a million strong. And, and so when, when they, they, this all took place, they came to John Paul II and they said, uh, a reporter said to him, what, why are you here? What did you come to find? And JP2 responded, I came to greet the martyrs of the third millennium. I just love that story because it took so many times in leadership, everyone else was wrong and everyone else said it couldn't be done. And John Paul II had a different vision. He had the vision of Christ. It was a vision of hope. Uh, he looked at the young people and didn't see what they weren't. He saw what they were. Now I want to ask you, how do you look at your own lives? Are, are you looking at yourselves from what everybody else has said about you or about, about what even you, know, you have inside of your heart in terms of negativity? Or are you looking at yourselves and do you dare to look at yourselves as Christ looks at you? Here in this gospel, we see our Lord looking at them with a different vision. They're just looking at themselves as fishers, right? Looking at fishermen. I'm, go, I'm made to make fish, <laughs> just like my daddy did. And they're in the boat with their daddy. And the daddy's making them fish. And they've got a great business ahead of themselves. They must have been prosperous because they had employees even. They had the, the hired servants. So... This must have been quite a fishing business. And so they, they obviously were there, the, the trusted sons. They could look at themselves from that perspective and say, okay, well, my dad made this business and then I've got uh, hired hands underneath us. We're learning the trade. We're going to take it over ourselves and then we're going to fish the same waters that our dad fished in. Christ had a different call for them. And they had to be ready for that different call. And so what's surprising is that this different call is one that's spiritual, right? Listen to how Christ goes about it. So walking, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He had this, this vision for their life that was radically different. And it was different, especially in that it put the primacy of the spiritual. Why? Because he was calling these men to become priests, to become bishops. Well, one of them to become the Pope, right? So that's kind of a unique call. There's only been 240, some of them, in the history of time. And, 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 and here he's, one, he's the very first one. They're called into this spiritual um, uh, service, service. And I want you to think about that because it is extraordinary. When you think about what an apostle had to do, they had to be extraordinary leaders, meaning they were given a message by Christ and a, a relationship with Christ. And then they were called to take that message and that relationship into places where it did not yet exist and was not flourishing and to make it flourish in such a way that it would actually uh, create more followers for it. So to do that, they had to be able to, well, have interpersonal relationships. They had to be able to have an, a sense of organization. They created you know, a, a, an order right there of people. Then they had to be able to run the liturgy correctly. Then they had to be able to settle the disputes. 
that came up. They had to do personal counseling. Then they had to deal with persecutions. They had to make decisions. They were in charge of organizations and more than organizations, they were in charge of communities. So they had both the organizational uh, task ahead of them, but at the same time, they had to maintain the communal. So they had to be judges and fathers at the same time. And I say that because for a lot of you, you feel the same way. I mean, we have to be able to be good at what we do. God has called us into the world of business, into the world of, of, of prof the professional life, because we have to be good at our trade. I mean, could you imagine if St. Joseph <laughs> were to, to say, you know what, uh, I'm not really good at my carpentry. I guess it's okay. Like, he, he, you can't do that. You, you have to be excellent at those things. And at the same time, you have to balance with it the need that I'm responsible for my family as if to form a communion of persons. And that's a whole nother skill set. And sometimes we say, I wish I had one and not the other, but I have to have both and I have to live both. And that's such a challenge. We wish that we could just be one and not the other. But in fact, God's asking us to be both. Just like he was asking his apostles. What's necessary? The same spirit of leadership. And this is what's neat. He will train you to be a great leader in your profession by making you take care of your family at home. He will entrust great things to you on the outside by building up your character on your, the way you treat your husbands, the way that you treat your children forges the same mentality deep down that you're going to take into your workplace. It might not be by the way you treat the people at your workplace. It's a different relationship. But what I mean by that is that there's a sense of virtue and of character that is required from family, the domestic family life, that is necessary in the professional life. Because the way that we take go about our professional life and the optic that we take into it is more important even than our skill set. Our, our vision and our mentality. And this is forged in the home. This is why Christ asks us to be these people of balance, just like his first apostles were. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. But Christ doesn't end there, right? Actually, this is just the beginning. The point that I really want to, to make with you and to have you drill down into is the primacy of the spiritual. And that is that Jesus has rather, uh, is rather audacious. He walks right up to these men as they're with their dads and as they're plying their trade. And right at that very moment, he calls them to leave it all behind for him. Where, you know, this reminds me of a conversation I remember having with, with uh, uh, the foreman of a work crew that I was on. I used to be a roofer before I became a priest. And uh, one of the foremen was a very respected uh, person and very devout in his faith. And he, he told me one time, he said, you know, I, I get everything about God. But man, when, he's, when Jesus says we have to love him more than our families— that's a really tough one for me. And so, you know, he says, I, I do it, and I do it gladly, but it's a really tough one. 
And, and you understand, right? The family given to us by God in our natural lives, it, it is like the high point. And then after that, I mean, imagine if God asked you to, to abandon your career. Be the same thing for many of you. You love what you do. You love the art that you take into it. You love going into the office every day and making it happen. And what if God were to take that away from you? Tragically, as a priest, I deal with souls who feel that way. They retire and then they feel like there's nothing for them left. Or their family life gets going bad and they feel like there's nothing for them left. And you're not living, my friends, for your family. You're not living, my friends, for your career. There is something you're made for beyond those things. And it's not without those things. It's through those things, but it's more than those things. And sometimes what God does is just to remind us of that. He allows the waves and the storms to hit our life at those points where we're most vulnerable because we've loved him as a head of a family and we've loved him as a dad, as a mom, as a spouse. We've loved him there in our profession. We've loved him as a bricklayer, as an electrician, as a business owner. And sometimes God comes knocking to say, my friend, I just want you to love me for me. At those moments, are, it's always a crisis in our life in one way or the other, because the old paradigm gets shaken. Why does God allow me to go through what I'm going through in my family? I'll tell you why. It's so that you love him more. And you say, is it worth it? And that's really the rub, isn't it, my friends? We, we, we wonder, is it worth it? We wonder, is God really enough? Go back to what these first apostles lived here. These first leaders the very first step in leadership is for Christ to, to harrow their hearts and to say to them, you know what? What do you love most in this world? It's not a matter of saying you don't love fishing. It's not a matter of saying you don't love your family. It's just a matter of saying, what do you love most? And he takes full right here. The thing you must love the most is me. And if you love me, then no matter what else you do and where else I call you to go, it's going to be okay. Because if you love me, then you will hit the real goal of life, which is not in what we possess. It's not in how much pleasure we have. And it's not in how easy that it all goes for us. It might go really hard. It might not be pleasant at all. And it might be very difficult. We might go through poverty. But if we love God, then we have everything. This is the lesson. Come after me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's verse, that's verse 18. This is an incredible line in scripture. What in the world did they find in Jesus that made them immediately leave their nets and follow him? I want you to think about that. Sometimes we don't give the apostles enough credit. We just kind of think, oh, yeah, then they're just following Jesus. Like, think about what they did. They left their nets. They were lowering the net into the sea, it said. So he was watching them casting a net in the sea. They actually left their net in the water. <laughs> now, think about this again. Were these guys crazy? Or were they witnesses to us? I think that they were witnesses to us. Who is this Jesus? They would like to look at us today and say, guys, I don't regret leaving that net in the water for a second. 
because of what I found with Christ. Now, most of you listening, you're not called to be spiritual leaders in the sense of being priests or bishops or missionaries or whatever. You're called to be exactly where you are, running your businesses, leading your teams, managing where you are, making the financial world better. Whatever place God's put you in, you're meant to stay there. But what you're not meant to do is limit your life according to that vision, ever. Because if you do, then no ethics will be able to come in. A lot of times people say that, how do I know what's right and wrong? And how do I lead an ethical life? Well, the only way, way you can lead an ethical life is to give your life a foundation beyond what is practical and efficient. It's not if you make a lot of money that you're going to be good. This is not the measure. And it's not if your business thrives that you're going to be good. This is not the measure. The measure comes from us living our life in accordance with the vision that God has for it. And God's vision is bigger and better than the one that we have. So many people are afraid of following God because they think that God's going to take it all away from them. I know you. I'm, you're listening right now and you're saying, if I give my life to God, I'm scared because then I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm scared it's going to become worse. I'm scared I'm going to have to suffer, etc. I want to give you a great quote from Pope Benedict. And it's a quote that a lot of young people have up on their walls and in posters and things because it's just a great quote. He says this, God takes nothing from what makes life extraordinary and beautiful. Rather, he gives everything. God takes nothing away from what makes life extraordinary and beautiful. Rather, he gives everything. And it's true. You have to make this act of faith. But realize that you make that act of faith following Peter and Andrew and James and John and all of them never regretted the day that they gave themselves into the greatness that Christ was calling them to. The very first lesson here, the Gospel of Mark teaches us about leadership is that we got to let Christ have that first primacy of place. We, and when we do, our visions lift, our scope broadens, our skills deepen because our love becomes extraordinary. Christ is calling you not into a simple, ordinary life of mediocre love, but into a life where love takes full possession of everything. And when we do that, we become that light, that salt for this world. And just like Peter, Andrew, and James, and John, we cast a fire upon the earth, the fire of God's love and truth. God bless you as you dare great things for Christ. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.